No, my lord. They would not believe half the things that I have seen in Cathay. But what is the truth? I wonder where they are now. The past or the future? everyone and thank you for joining us on a quick trip through space and time my name is caleb and i'm mac and this is a podcast where a doctor who veteran and a doctor who beginner go through each episode of doctor who and give their thoughts on it and this week we will be watching marco polo that's right marco polo was written by john lucarotti directed by waris hussein and john crockett and produced by verity lambert it uh, premiered February 22nd, 1964, through April 4th, 1964. Now, this episode is going to be slightly different from what our what we usually do, at least from our perspective. Hopefully, it won't be that different for you. This is the very first episode that was a victim of the BBC's purge of Doctor Who episodes. It was commonplace back then to get rid of of episode footage that they had like in storage and archives to make room for new ones because like I, like I said in the first episode reruns weren't really like a thing all that much so they had no and like video releases certainly weren't a thing so they had no real reason to keep them because why would they um so there's several episodes in classic who Oh, thankfully only within like the first first couple just the first era basically um where there is either no footage whatsoever left of an episode or only bits and pieces first three episodes were completely intact marco polo is completely gone there is no footage whatsoever but all of doctor who stories were preserved in one way or another be it only audio or telesnaps to go along with the audio. Something that they've started doing in recent years is having specially commissioned animations to fill in the gaps of uh, the telesnaps or the missing episodes. So you can find some DVDs where previously all that was left was the audio is now completely animated. They have not done that for Marco Polo yet. So today we're going to be watching. We're going to be listening to the audiobook version. It's okay. I like audiobooks. Yeah. I've never really listened to audiobooks, like, at all. I don't think I've ever listened to an audiobook now that I think about it. I was a big fan when I was driving for over an hour for work to and from, so. Okay. Okay. Is either that listening to the same CD over and over again, which I have done for many years. <laughs> that That's what I do. The I know the Wicked soundtrack backwards and forwards because it was basically the only thing that I had in my car for a good Mac. long while. Mac, what? do not show your theater degree like that. <laughs> sorry. Do not expose sorry. yourself in I'm that sorry. way. Yeah, I know. I was supposed to supposed to cover that up. I apologize. It's very indecent. We hate theater on this podcast. We do. So, Caleb, given all you know of Doctor Who and given how the previous episode ended, and given that this episode is called Marco Polo, 
what do you think this episode is going to be about? Well, so this episode is obviously pretty influential because it's obviously the inspiration for the plot to the game Uncharted 2 Among Thieves. So (laughs) the time travelers are going to discover um, Marco Polo, believe it or not, in the Himalayas with a bunch of yetis and there will probably be some explosions and some quips and they'll discover the tree of life in Shangri-La. I can't tell you how accurate it was because I think this may have been one of the ones that I may have skipped because of just how it wasn't like readily available to me. So I actually, I'm going in this almost as blind as you do. I <laughs> exactly. do not, I do not remember in the slightest what so happens you're in telling this me there's a chance that it's basically Uncharted 2. There is a distinct chance that it is basically Uncharted 2. I mean, if you really think about it, Ian is basically Nathan Drake. The Doctor is basically Sully. Barbara is basically the blonde lady whose name I totally remember. Elaine? Elena, Elena. I think it's just Elaine. It's been a hot minute since I watched it. Played the entire game. Does that mean Susan is Chloe? Oh God, I hope not. Chloe was the hot one. Yes, Chloe (laughs) was the hot one. Have you seen the trailer for that movie yet? The Uncharted movie. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I've been about thirty-five percent right. I'm going to say on each episode. So yeah. So well. So we'll see. We'll see. I'm I'm curious to see how 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 uh because I I was going through like episodes just like my list of episodes to watch and um I was like you know now that I think about it because I remember very specific stories like really well like there's a one episode called Doctor Who and the Silurians that's really really fucking good and I remember it being one of my favorites but the more I'm like scrolling through this I'm like I don't think I remember like most of these so this is just much of a rewatch for me like to remember doctor who as it is guiding you through this series <laughs> i also have because in the first episode i mentioned that i was using this podcast as an excuse to catch up to where modern who is i have since abandoned that and i've started rewatching new who and the way that i've justified it in my head is that I am doing it so that I can be a better guide for when we get there six years from now. <laughs> I guess I want to matter, I guess I want to make sense in like six years if we're like, all right, this episode's new for both of us. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, that's enough of that. So with that, we will see you all in the future. Let's get going. back it may have just been a couple seconds for you but it was 12 days for us yeah it was one of our longer ones yeah and uh caleb made great use of his time and definitely uh spread out the experience you know since it was six episodes long he made sure to do like an episode every two days or so definitely definitely did not binge it all while i was taking a bath last night definitely not you definitely, definitely did not do that 
absolutely not because we're responsible podcasters <laughs> but not that i would ever do not that i did it this time but taking baths and listening to things not a bad experience but i know that from other instances not this one i will have to uh, keep that in mind listening to it was kind of definitely an interesting beast i basically just had my google doc open and then just pressed play and waited until i thought of some notes to write it was it was challenging for me um and it was challenging in the sense that like listening to audiobooks is challenging for me where uh, i'm usually doing something else while i'm doing it and then i miss things yeah and one of the issues that we ran into was you know it's yeah like you said audiobooks you can like have it playing while you're driving or while you're washing dishes or whatever but we couldn't really do that because we also had to take notes on what it is we heard so let's uh let's just dive right in caleb overall what'd you think of marco polo overall i guess it wasn't bad uh i get a part of me wishes i could see it obviously yeah but i think it it had the most going on i thought and i thought like its attempts at political intrigue were better than other episodes have been mm-hmm. like um, with the cavemen yeah with the cavemen especially and even and even with uh the kind of politics so to speak between the daleks and the oh i forget what they're called now the thals yes the thals i don't know it, it seemed like there was more going on and like i still want to say i liked it but i was like hmm it's pretty interesting yeah i'd say yeah i, def- I definitely have a lot of mixed feelings about it we, we were talking before recording that we have no idea how this episode is going to be because we both had the exact same thought, exact same opinion, almost word for word <laughs> um, when, when we finished it, where we have a lot of thoughts, but also too few. Yeah. And like, especially speaking broadly, like broadly, I'm kind of like, I, I don't know. I listened to it, so it's not really the right experience, uh, but there is no other way to experience it at the moment. Uh, and I have a lot of opinions about very specific things, but broadly speaking, basically no opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am. I am waiting for us to publish this episode, and um, then immediately after it's published, they announce that, oh, hey, look, we've we've we're going to do the animated DVD version of it. I'm like, oh, like, fuck, gosh, you are. Damn it, Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was. There's another. There's an episode kind of coming up kind of a little far off that um like just released like the other day and i was like oh thank god i was worried that we were going to get to that point and not have that so but uh before we really really dive in i do think we need to address the elephant in the room i honestly kind of prefer that we listen to it in a strange way just because we didn't have to be subjected to the yellow face that they were definitely using. The obscene amounts of yellow face. And I think that's probably why I had such a hard time listening to it, is because everyone sounded, like, vaguely British. Yeah, like, and if you pull up, like, the characters on the Doctor Who wiki and, like, it has a picture of them, yeah, they're in yellow face. Because it's set, it's set in China, and um, that's a big yikes. It's a big yikes. But like for the most part, except for like a couple of bit characters, 
nobody was like doing a voice or anything like that. So, like, thank God for small mercies. You get a gold star made out of card, made out of um, construction paper. Not as racist as you could have been. Grant, that is bounced out by like the big loud like gong every time there was a scene. Transition. Yeah, the 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 stinger music was a gong, which was a choice they made. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm like uh, every time I was like, the only way this could get worse is like if the gong was followed up with the. Yeah, I was waiting for it. I was waiting I, for it. Yeah, this isn't the most racist that Doctor Who will get. Oh no! <laughs> but that's, you know that sounds terrible. Just go going forward. Just know that all of the characters that we're going to be discussing. Or definitely British. Like, I can pull up the cast list real quick. Hold on, I'm going to do that. And we obviously don't condone yellow face or any kind of racial portrayals. No, absolutely not. That's bad. Which is part of what makes the show so difficult to watch slash listen to. Marco Polo is is an Italian man, so it's fine. He was played by Mark Eden. Uh, Tagana was n- played by Darren Nesbitt. <laughs> uh Kubla Khan was played by Martin Miller. Chen Chu was played by Jimmy Gardner. Like, these are the whitest yeah. fucking names. <laughs> <laughs> this is also the part where I would say that this episode was the debut of so-and-so. But this was the debut of nothing. There was nothing that debuted in this episode. So in a way, I guess it's kind of unique. In being the first episode, that's not unique. It's like we're officially on like an episodic adventure story. You could argue that it's the first time that like a real historical figure shows up. That's true. You could definitely make that argument of it's it's the first historical episode. Historical with like actual things people might know about, <laughs> rather than like yeah. vaguely about people because it has cavemen. A lot of this story, a lot of the story was actually based on. Marco Polo's actual memoirs that he oh, that no, he wrote. See, that's cool. Yeah, this episode was also originally supposed to be the third episode, leading credence to that thing I said a while back, where it was going to go back and forth between history and sci-fi. Um, but just due to the limited number of episodes that they were allowed, um, the Edge of Destruction had to fill the gap. So, so then does that make this like officially like season like the the stories like the season two, so to speak? technically I, I honestly don't know how this works but technically the end of the first season will be story eight i don't know why i don't know how but that's that's how it is this was also uh carol ann ford's favorite story that that she did and according to william hartnell's widow this was also his favorite episode she claims that uh it was his idea to have an episode focusing around marco polo i can definitely see why this would be carol ann ford's because i, I this story is more about her yeah it was very susan focused yeah i don't feel like ian and barbara really contributed all that much and even the doctor not really but we'll we'll get into that let's go yeah, ahead and yeah, start yeah, yeah. start the start the recap we're putting the all cart right. before the horse here episode one the roof of the world after the pseudo horror sci-fi rigmarole of the last story this episode begins with the crew exiting the tardis on a snowy mountaintop the ship is damaged from the prior events and cannot provide heat or water, so things are looking pretty dire. 
While Ian and Barbara scout ahead, she's convinced she sees some sort of monster, which is all but confirmed by large footprints in the snow. The supposed creature follows them back to the ship, and the group give chase to it. However, it's a trap, and the time travelers find themselves surrounded by a group of Mongols. Only the last-minute appearance of Marco Polo saves them. After taking them in, the doctor develops altitude sickness. The Mongol leader Tagana wants to eliminate the travelers because he fears they are, have dangerous magics. But Marco Polo is more interested in the group's flying caravan. After taking the group to Lop, Polo reveals that he plans to gift the TARDIS to the Emperor to get safe passage back to Venice. In another scene, we see Tagana receiving a poison from a mysterious man who claims he will kill the travelers with it and take the thing of magic that will defeat Kublai Khan once and for all. I, I thought that at the very beginning of the episode, it was a little a little strange. Um, the, the TARDIS broke down like a little bit. I don't remember what was wrong with it. It was like out of water, right? It was like out of water or something like that, yeah. Which is weird. Is the TARDIS like steam powered? I don't know. I think I almost seems to remember that he also had issues with like the power, like the lights were out or something. I guess, but I don't know. Uh, this is getting a little ahead, but it doesn't really make any sense because it's not really addressed again because the TARDIS works fine later. Yeah, like after the events of Edge of Destruction, I can, I can buy the TARDIS needing like a breather. Yeah, no, I can totally agree that, you know, it's broken because, you know, the events of Edge of Destruction were almost um, world-ending, I guess. I mean, it definitely almost destroyed the TARDIS, so it makes sense. So, yeah, I can buy that it was damaged and or, like, needed a break. It just doesn't really get properly addressed again, at least to my memory, which is kind of shitty of this story. I think it does get addressed. I'm pretty sure later, because that's kind of the issue, they're kind of blocked off from the TARDIS because it's in Marco Polo's custody and the doctor wants to get into it to do repairs but he's not allowed anywhere near it but I think eventually he does get the repairs done so it's just a matter of being able to take off mm, I, I mean spoiler alert they fix the TARDIS and leave at some point <laughs> amazing it's almost like there's like 30 seasons of this show no that's funny the the entire rest of the series it's just them hanging out with Marco Polo it's a very strange <laughs> direction they decided to take it not sure why they call him Doctor Who. He's the one in the first 10 episodes. <laughs> and I, I do love how at the very beginning, Barbara like claimed to see a Yeti and everyone was just like completely dismissive of it as if that's completely ridiculous. And like they've been to alien planets. This could be an alien planet for all they know. Yeah, because they don't know they're on Earth. Yeah, the re reaction is just like, oh, Barbara was just hallucinating yetis, as all women do. You know how it is. <laughs> and this episode does like something I feel like is a recurring trend in this series already, and it mm. is really annoying to me, mm. which is just like really intense pivots. It's like, oh, we're setting it up. There's going to be a spooky monster. Well, JK, they're Mongols. This is Marco Polo. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they they were covered in furs, you know, because they were because the Mongols were traipsing through the mountains. So, no, like, I mean, it make, it makes sense that why they were perceived as yetis. It's just more of like, oh man, there's gonna be yetis and monsters, and they're like, nah, we're doing Marco Polo. I mean, I don't want to spoil anything, but like, if you really want to see yetis in a Doctor Who episode, I mean, I'm stay sure tuned. Be yetis. It's it's more of a, like I don't know. I feel like I feel like it's I feel like they're cheap plot twists and not actually earned ones hmm. um 
because a lot of, i feel like a lot of this show is hey this is what's going on or hey this is what's happening and they're like no actually this is what's happening and i'm sa- i'm basing that on actually nothing that's actually just the plot now well i don't know because i kind of like the fact that when they first arrive somewhere they don't know what's going on and they are having to piece together it's like oh it's yetis oh wait no it's it's not yetis it's it's the mongols okay they are learning what the deal is around them just as, at the same time we are i don't know it's I, I mean again i like that element i like the idea of like oh i don't know what's going on let's figure it out but i feel like certain elements just move so quickly while others take so long hmm. yeah i can see that i would have been fine if this whole first episode was determining hey are are we are we dealing with yetis or are we dealing with mongols but instead it's like the first five minutes yeah yeah i can I, okay i, I get what i get what you mean um, I I don't remember when specifically this was. I'm pretty sure it was when the Mongols first ambushed the travelers. Um, I made the note of I can't see Susan's freak out, but I know one when I hear one, so I'm <laughs> counting it. And that's four it for my, four. <laughs> I can feel it in my bones. Oh, and you can really feel them later in this story. Oh God, you really oh, really can. God. Holy shit. A little bit later, we did, you didn't mention this character, probably because she has fuck all to do with the actual plot, but whatever. Uh, there's a character named Ping Cho. Oh, is she in the first episode? For some reason, I... Yeah. Oh, because I write about her, obviously, the rest of the time, because <laughs> she's kind of central. Yeah. Ping Cho is traveling with uh, Marco Polo and Tagana because her fiancé is in... Where are they going? What's the final destination? Uh, I don't Pei remember. Peking. 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 Yeah, it was Peking. That was it. Her fiance is in Peking and he's like super old and she's like 13. Something I found just slightly confusing. I don't know. For someone who's traveled throughout time and space, Susan seems very surprised by the marriage traditions of 13th century China. I'm not saying that she would be like in favor of it, but she seems just like shocked at the idea. But that could be maybe she hasn't traveled as much as I think she has. I mean, I could see that point because, like, it is, the show establishes very early on that she knows a bunch of random bullshit about history and science. So, yeah. What, what, but even why doesn't she just know, like, vaguely back in the middle 12th century, 13th century, this takes place that there was child marriage? Like, that's, I think that's common knowledge. Yeah. Again, you don't have to approve of it. It becomes very clear later that nobody it's approving of it but yeah just the amount of shock she had was kind of weird one thing that i will say that i really like both about this episode specifically and about the story overall is i like that the tardis itself is being used as a plot point mm-hmm. like the issue is ah shit they have the tardis and we can't get anywhere near it because it's constantly under guard like you can have you can make the argument of like the story is about Marco Polo and Tagana and the trip to uh Peking but really the final goal is we need to get inside the TARDIS. And so I like that the TARDIS is a central plot point and it helps with answering the question of well why don't they just leave. Mhm. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. And maybe that's why I enjoy this one a lot more because like I feel like this is a lot more a lot less of just leave. What are you waiting for? Because you know, yeah, they can't. It's got more stuff, and uh, their their excuses for staying is less cringy. Like the doctor sabotaging his own ship. Yeah. <laughs>
Yeah, I, I do feel like a lot, a lot less of the plot is artificial in this, in this particular yeah. one, because uh, I feel like there's like more realistic antagonizing forces and way less like made up or like totally crazy nonsense uh, in a show about crazy nonsense. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you can have a show about crazy nonsense, but still want like realistic character interactions mm -hmm. kind of thing character motivations i feel like a lot of their earlier episodes like the motivations were like made so there was conflict <laughs> again like like the doctor sabotaging his ship or ian taking way too fucking long to warn the thals uh yeah and i i feel i feel like moving forward we'll have a little bit more we're able to pay attention to more of that um now that the travelers are more of a cohesive group mm -hmm. they're not at each other's throats constantly anymore now they're like oh, okay we're on a we are on a trip now yeah and like uh, that's that that's a first this is the first episode where the no members of the group seem actively opposed to other members of the group at least not to my knowledge or my rememberings of it uh i do want to say one thing about this episode and broadly about the story and again the show in general i feel like people's reactions to certain things are either overblown or not overblown enough such as uh, well, like you said, Susan and learning about child marriage, it's she's really, really surprised by it. Whereas I feel like Marco Polo learning that the uh, TARDIS is an air quotes flying caravan. He's just like, that's cool. I want to take that. And not like, what the fuck are you talking about? Uh, because this doesn't look like a caravan. This doesn't look like a wagon. It looks like something I've never seen in my life. Yeah. He... Uh I don't remember if he questions of, like, how can four people travel in this thing at once? And I don't know, he's just weirdly accept and he's so passive about it in the sense of, like, oh, well, I'm going to sell it, and you can just go back to England and build another one. You know, this, like, magic thing I've never seen before in my life. He never really sees proof that it is a flying thing, because they don't trust the Doctor to go back in without making an escape, just in case it is a flying caravan. Yeah. So, and... I suppose that's the point I'm trying to make. Um, some information is really shocking, and some information isn't shocking enough. Maybe uh, Marco doesn't actually believe that it's a flying caravan, and he's just like, maybe if I spin this the right way, I'll be able to sell it to Kublai Khan, make my escape, and then before he realizes that he can't use it, I'll be halfway across the Mediterranean by then. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's really about all I have. Not a whole lot happens in this episode or the next episode, I feel. Yeah, that's going to be a it's going to be a recurring thing. <laughs> <laughs> but uh we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Um but yeah, go ahead for episode 2. Okay, episode 2, The Singing Sands. As the travelers move across the Gobi Desert, the situation quickly becomes dire. The doctor isolates himself from the rest of the group, but Ian takes a liking to Marco Polo, despite the man's insistence on stealing the TARDIS. Susan also grows closer to Ping Cho, and she vents her frustration about being stuck on Earth. This sparks a sense of wonder in Ping Cho, and together they follow Tagana as he sneaks off in the middle of the night. The group is suddenly beset by a sandstorm, stopping Tagana from poisoning the group's food, but the girls become temporarily lost. It's okay, though, because they find their way back immediately. But the travelers are running low on water. Marco Polo sends Tagana to find a rumored oasis. When he finds it, he calls out to Marco Polo as a challenge, telling him to come for it. And that's it. Uh, my thoughts on this episode are exactly what I said. 
not a whole lot happens. And the one thing that kind of does happen isn't relevant. I have I have a couple notes. First of all, uh, f- fun fact, William Hartnell was uh, very, very sick uh, at the time of recording this. And that's the reason why the doctor was basically pouting in his room the entire time <laughs> during this episode. Because during Singing Sands, William Hartnell could barely move around. So yeah, there's a fun fact for you. There's there's a point where Barbara says the TARDIS is the only home we have at the moment. When we're inside it, we feel safe and secure. I'm like, really, Barbara? Which time did you feel safe and secure in the TARDIS? Was it the time where you were kidnapped in it? Or the time where it almost exploded while the doctor poisoned you? Which specific instance are we talking about here, Barbara? And you got really mad about time or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There was a part where... Because this whole story is, as we said earlier, very Susan-focused. And there was a part where she was talking with Ping Cho. And she mentioned... She says that one day we will know all the... One day we'll know all the secrets of the stars. And we will stop our wandering. And this kind of leads to a trait of Susan that I didn't really catch the first time I watched this when I was in like high school and I didn't know any better. It's a theme that I'm seeing over and over again of Susan wanting a home. I don't think Susan enjoys being a traveler because she wanted to stay in 1963. Despite the fact that they were found out in the junkyard, she did not, she did not want to leave. There was a bit in Edge of Destruction where the Doctor was kind of like mumbling and almost like, like reliving in his dreams when they when they left with the TARDIS, and it implies that Susan did not want to leave but had to leave. So I just I'm going to be keeping an eye out for more instances of Susan's desire to have to settle down. Hmm. That's a very interesting point. I also I do really like the friendship between Susan and Ping Cho because it's really the first time that we've seen Susan just being able to be a kid. Mm-hmm. She's hanging out with a girl her own age and they're just they're really just hanging out. And there is when Tagana leaves, Susan just suddenly gets a lot more ballsy than she's been in any other episode because she's like, let's go follow Tagana. Let's see what he's up to without like running to Ian or Barbara or the doctor and asking them what she should do. She was like, let's let's sneak out. Let's go. Let's go follow him, which turns out to be a really dumb idea because they get stuck in the middle of a sandstorm. And the two of them really absolutely would have been dead in that sandstorm. (laughs) And it's kind of a miracle that they didn't die. There was another bit where they were trying to figure out because they because Tagana like cut all the water sacks and they were figuring out what they should do because they were in the middle of the desert. Uh, Tagana says, oh yeah, it was definitely bandits who did that. And they were trying to figure out where to go and they were like, well, we can try and go back to the town that we were just at. But if it was bandits, they'll probably attack us on our way back to the town. There's also the oasis to the north that's way farther than the town that bandits are probably camped near. And they decide to go towards the oasis. I thought that was a really stupid move. Because if you go 
west, you'll probably be attacked by bandits, but it's a shorter route to get to a place to get water refilled. But if you go north, you are definitely going to be attacked by bandits, and it's a much further drive. So of course we have to go north. It'd just be silly otherwise. They need the water, Mac. And it just—they seem like they would have a higher chance of survival if they went west. And I was just very confused because you hear Marco Polo and you think, "Ah, great explorer." And I was like, "Wow, that's a that's a dumb movie just did Marco Polo." Wow, Marco Polo, you're kind of a fucking idiot. <laughs> wow, you suck at this. I feel like that's a common occurrence in the show where like the logic is just very weird. I feel like I listen to the characters monologue all the time, and I'm like, that is the craziest logic I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I cannot cite a single example of it to you now, but I do feel like it's happening a lot. I'm, I'm with you. There's definitely definitely quite a bit of that. On that note, I didn't really mention this, but it happens in the first episode, and it happens in this episode, and it happens in basically every episode, but Tagana is flagrantly evil. <laughs> Tagana may as well have a twirling mustache and just, like, rubbing his hands together and talking about how he's going to how he's going to get how he's going to get do right and just like yeah yeah that that's that's a couple of my notes especially in the coming up episodes because like he's just so clearly like he's like sharpening his knife in front of marco polo while maintaining eye contact levels of i'm definitely going to kill you oh dude <laughs> i just like <laughs> I don't even know what to say about it. Because, <laughs> I mean, like, this is, um, it's really bad when, like, the betrayal in an unearthly child between the cavemen is, like, more believable than the dynamic going on here. <laughs> yeah. And, like, I think it's interesting because, like, ooh, I, I like the intrigue. I, li- I like that there's, seems there's a lot more moving parts, but Tagana is, like, flagrantly evil. <laughs> Yeah, he's like Jafar levels of obviously evil advisor. Uh, he's like, hey, you know this like old man and this teenage girl and like these like two like starved and uh, lost travelers we found? We should fucking murder them. They're like super dangerous. <laughs> I can tell because their thing looks weird. Yeah, and does he even give a reason why it is he goes out into the desert? I know it was like to meet up with someone. I mean, yeah, I think that's in the next episode. Well, to go in the desert, he's supposed to find the oasis or whatever, right? Well, no, I mean, I mean, originally, like when uh, Susan and Ping Cho follow him out into the desert and then they get caught in the sandstorm. Oh, yeah. I don't think he has an excuse. I, is he sneaking out in the nighttime? Again, it, I can't. I have no idea what's going yeah, on. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they, they sneak out in the nighttime and because uh, they follow him and then they get lost and then they get lost in the sandstorm and then Tagana finds the two of them in the sandstorm and then he brings them back to the caravan. I don't know why because if his goal was to kill them he could have just left them out in the sandstorm. Is Ping Cho relevant to his like goals? I don't think so. Don't I'm think pretty so sure either. she. I I think she's just like along for the ride because her fiance is in Peking. Because his his goal. Because he's um he's you don't find this out for a couple of episodes, but spoilers. Um, he's loyal to a different con, 
and wants to usurp Kublai Khan to become ruler, and then he'd be like the right hand to the Khan. But yeah, so again, Tagana, flagrantly evil, gets away with it literally the whole fucking time. <laughs> flagrantly evil, and also really bad at being evil, because mm-hmm. there's so he has so many opportunities to just fucking slit throats, and he doesn't. And he just fails, yeah. He fails at everything. But that that's all I had for episode two. Uh, I have one more thing. Uh, and it's, again, my recurring point of, like, things, like, dramatic things happen and they seem like they're going to be relevant, and then they're just kind of not. Uh, for instance, the sandstorm. Uh, it emphasizes that Susan and Ping Chu are lost. We get one of Susan's signature blood-curdling screams. Uh, and then the narration is basically like, oh, and then they rolled in the camp and everything was fine. Yeah. And I, I don't know. It just really annoys me. <laughs> Yeah, I can come up with some sort of half-assed defense for it, but it is kind of frustrating that there's a lot of moments that don't really add to the overall arc. Yeah, because I mean, like, while while I think this one is like slightly better paced and better structured, um, it still doesn't need to be seven episodes. Half of half of this whole story is just like, oh my god, this is happening, and like, oh, but we figured it out. It's fine. No, better keep moving. If if it was in a if it was in the hands of a a, a different writer, th- I feel like this could be like the Doctor Who equivalent of like a road trip film kind mm-hmm. of thing, where like there's nothing wrong with having episodic plots of like oh yep now we're dealing with the sandstorm, but like it just it does feel a little bit like right, oh well that's done. Well, especially considering the sandstorm doesn't come in until like over halfway through the episode. So if it mm-hmm. started with like oh man. We open up on this sandstorm. We're having trouble seeing. And then the rest of the episode is finding Susan and Ping Cho before Tagana murders them. That's like a good structure for an episode, I guess. And then they'd be like, yeah, then the sandstorm's done. But it's not. It's like two minutes. Yeah. That's what I had for episode two. Yeah, that's what I had. Now we'll move on to episode three. The Wall of Lies. Wait, no. Never mind. 500 eyes. (laughs) The water is gone now and tensions are running high. Susan and the doctor have retired to the TARDIS, and they are accused of withholding water when they collect condensation from the sides of the TARDIS. After Ian explains condensation to Marco Polo, the group arrives at the way station, I'm going to butcher this, Tan Huang, and a resupply. While Ping Cho entertains with a retelling of Aladdin, Tagana slips away to the Cave of 500 Eyes, where he meets with his Mongol conspirator, conspirators and plans for them to attack Polo's caravan. However, Barbara overhears the scheme, but she cannot escape before she is captured. When Tagana returns, the camp is looking for Barbara, and the doctor suggests going to the cave. When the group goes, they find Barbara's handkerchief, and Susan screams as she sees a pair of painted eyes that move. Do we want to get the big thing out of the way first? Um, sure. Let's go ahead and get that out. Let's get the ending out of the way first. Susan would freak the fuck out in an episode of Scooby-Doo. Because, because <laughs> the eyes in the paintings are always moving in Scooby-Doo. And I warned you ahead of time, because I, I was further ahead than you were, don't wear earbuds at the end of episode three. Because she is in rare, rare fucking form at the end of episode three. I'm glad I wasn't wearing earbuds. I just I just had it playing on my phone, and I was... So glad I wasn't wearing earbuds because I would still have a ringing in my ears from just the blood 
curdling, nails on chalkboard, absolute banshee wail that she lets out. <laughs> it's pretty horrible. I was I was in the tub listening to this episode, and yeah, I only had like the volume up halfway on my iPad. And even though I was like, Jesus Christ, oh my God, is she getting murdered like for real? <laughs> no, I don't. Oh, because God. I, I, if I remember correctly, the narration doesn't even like set it up that she sees the eyes. Like she just screams. She just screams out of nowhere, and then it talks about the eyes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We need to address that first. If you, if you're listening along, wear earbuds for the love of God. Yeah, please or do. Don't. No, or please do. Go deaf. Yeah, don't don't wear earbuds. Brace yourself. Yeah, prepare. So at the beginning of the episode, they get to the oasis and they like finally have water again. And then they just almost immediately leave. I'm like, Marco, my dude, your people have been dying of thirst for the past couple of days. Give them a minute. Rest for like a day, maybe two days. Get your strength back up and refill any containers of water you might still have. Where did I lose you? You were talking about Marco, my dude. Let your people rest and fill up their water. And then after that, it just got crazy. Yeah. And then I said um, that at this point, I was beginning to suspect that Marco Polo might not be a very good explorer. <laughs> Maybe Marco Polo is just bad. Hot, hot take of the uh, millennia, I guess. Marco Polo, not a good explorer. Should explore. No wonder he only has one Uncharted game about him. Oh, kind of adding to that point, why doesn't he let them have water? Because it immediately becomes a problem uh, to the point where they're like, the doctor and Susan have been hiding water the whole time. Motherfucker, you were just at an oasis. Are we really that far out? I don't know. Maybe there's a longer passage of time. But everything just seems like it's happening immediately. I think there was the the condensation thing before they got to the Oasis. Oh, before. I, I, yeah. Like I said, my recollection of what happened in these episodes is vague at best. Yeah. Well, it is difficult because of the audio medium. We have no we have no visual thing to go in our in our brains. And I I have severe goldfish brains, so this is a real challenge for me. <laughs> then a little bit later, after they've been at the Oasis, I think I think it's Ian. Uh, who comes to Marco and is like, hey, I think Tagana might be lying to us. I think he might be up to something. <laughs> and Marco's reaction is basically, hmm, that doesn't seem right. Let's ask Tagana about it. See what he has to say on the subject. <laughs> and it's like, hey, Tagana, are you plotting against us and lying? No. Well, there you have it. I guess he's not. <laughs> yeah, again, flank flagrantly evil and marco polo is just like yeah so marco polo should explore should judge a character listen tagana i i hate to interrupt your knife throwing practice at a target with a picture of my face on it but i wanted your opinion on something (laughs) (laughs) and then they they reach they reach um the next town this this is a bit that you skipped over and don't get this is not a criticism on your part caleb i 100% understand why it is you skipped over it because there's a bit where Ping Cho is like doing a dramatic storytelling of like a legend in this area and there's a bit 
the doctor reveals that he has a second TARDIS key. So now he'll be able to get inside and he'll be able to begin repairs and we can finally leave it. What's that? Hmm? Oh, a, a small child is going to tell us a story. Oh, well, that's that's much more important. Let's go listen. And then he leaves and sits down and listens to the dramatic telling, the <laughs> Ping Cho. And I'm like, Doctor, Doctor, you... You you were just about to you were just about to do something, Doctor. I I think the the child's story can wait just a little bit. <laughs> oh, Doctor, listen. Children's stories are important. You have to validate them by listening to them. Yeah, I just kind of skipped over. I I've obviously I've I've obviously skipped over a ton of details in these. Partly because like it all kind of runs together, and partly because. Eh, it's hard to tell when something is actually irrelevant or not because we just move to different things. That's fair. That's fair. Barbara is... She seems to be the most suspicious of Tagana out of all of them, which is why she's the one who follows him to the cave. The amount of dis... Like, even from, like, Ian and to a lesser extent the Doctor, mostly Ian, the amount of disregard for Barbara's suspicion would be laughable if it wasn't infuriating. Mm-hmm. Like Barbara is finally in her element. She's she is a history teacher experiencing history firsthand, and she is trying her damnedest to move the plot forward, but no one is letting her. And it's really frustrating to air quotes watch. Yeah, because like again, I feel like this like is an episode where like it could have been like you know her element. This could be Barbara's time to shine, and she is still kind of sidelined like the whole time. Yeah. I mean, it is more of a Susan plot focus, but even then, Ian is still the one that takes action and does everything. So Yeah, because Ian and uh, Marco have a, I want to call it a bromance, but it's a little gay. <laughs> Just a little bit. It, it, it's gay Stockholm Syndrome, because, I mean, Marco Polo is like basically kidnapped them. And they're like, hey, can we leave? And he's like, no, why would you do that? And then Ian's just like, okay, I guess we'll hang out. Yeah, I guess we'll play board games. I thought that was weird too, which I forgot to mention. Yeah, there was the bit where Ping Cho was doing her dramatic storytelling, and I don't remember what it's a story, what the story is called, but basically it's about this heathen prophet who promises wealth and everything your hearts desire, and all you have to do is just follow him. And he's like a stranger from across the across the stars, kind of thing, and. It felt like, at least to me, my reading of it, it felt like they were trying to build up a parallel between that guy and the Doctor, and like that guy's followers and Ian, Barbara, and Susan. I thought that like maybe they're because they were accused of being evil spirits at the very beginning. I thought maybe this would come up, but it didn't, and instead we just spent like a good solid five to ten minutes listening to this child's story. That's not relevant to the plot at all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't really remember the story, probably because I zoned out because I was like, oh, wow, this is really long. <laughs> I mean, I don't blame you. It was completely irrelevant to the entire to the entire plot. And I feel like it was supposed to be because I could definitely see parallels in the story to the doctor and his companions. But it was not what? not you're addressed say- at all. You're s- you're saying Doctor Who goes on weird tangents and like I know. introduces things that don't get resolved? <laughs> I know. It's crazy. They've never done that before. 
that once. definitely wasn't the the issue of the edge of destruction <laughs> definitely not <laughs> definitely not yeah i really don't have like many opinions on this episode because truthfully i like genuinely don't remember that much about it i remember the blood curling scream and i think that woke me out of whatever like steamy fugue i was in in the back <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i do have one one last uh note and it has to do with the scream because they're like hey barbara went to this cave we need to go follow her to make sure she, she's okay so the doctor susan and ping cho go to the go to the cave and <laughs> it's like this cave is known to be haunted and a very dangerous mythical place now if you'll excuse me i'm going to yell barbara at the top of my lungs repeatedly in this haunted dangerous place <laughs> hey demons it's me your boy <laughs> <laughs> it's me your boy <laughs> then susan sees the markings on the wall move and then um she blows out the eardrums of every person within a six mile radius it's yeah it's really intense i really wish even like a scrap of footage existed of this because i want to see the movie painted eyes because all i do all i imagine is like the scooby-doo like, i 100 percent imagine like, scooby-doo <laughs> and um surprise like in the show already they've experienced more terrifying things than like moving eyeballs on a wall <laughs> way more terrifying things and yet it's the moving eyeballs that <laughs> oh, that God. broke the sound barrier <laughs> but that's all i have for that episode yeah i do too like largely uneventful again like tagana's like cartoonishly evil and like obviously super suspicious and no one really gives a fuck it seems yeah yeah so moving on to the wall of lies marco ian and tagana arrive late to the cave and ian manages to save barbara after discovering her and one of the mongols in a secret room back at the camp Tagana convinces Marco Polo that the doctor is hiding a second key to the TARDIS, and that Susan has too much influence over Ping Cho. Polo separates the two, and he and Tagana spy on the, on the doctor as he makes his way out of the TARDIS. When Marco tries to take the key, the doctor tells him the ship will be destroyed if an unauthorized person enters. Instead, they take him hostage and keep him under guard. In the next town, Tagana meets with one of his conspirators and plans an attack on the caravan within a few nights. Ian plans to escape Marco Polo and cuts a hole in his tent in the dead of night. When he sneaks around to attack the guard, he discovers the man is already dead. I think this discussion of this episode is going to be the shortest out of all of them, because I have two notes. The first note is, I'm not sure... But I'm almost positive that Susan's blood-curdling scream is actually louder in the recap than it was in the actual episode. <laughs> the second note is, I am halfway through this episode, and nothing has really happened. Just characters being suspicious of Tagana, and Polo not believing them. Yep, that is basically what happens the whole time. That's all I have to say about this episode. It's just... Probably my biggest frustration with this story, and I'll probably bring this up again in final thoughts, is it feels like all it is is just they go from one like it feel it I can almost bet you that they use the exact same um sets over and over again because they just go to a new town, set up at an inn, Tagana does something shifty, 
they they get suspicious of him. Polo doesn't believe them. They move on to the next town, set up at an inn, lather, rinse, repeat mm-hmm. for seven episodes. Yeah, and it's all just so circular. It's uh, no no wonder I have a trouble recalling like specific details because a lot of them really do run together because they're doing the same things again and again and again. My biggest issue. It, it, you're right. It's just kind of repetitive and. It, I can't wait for the show to even out at like four episodes because I feel like four episodes is a good, like, that's the sweet spot. Well, I don't know. I haven't seen a four episode archive lights yet, but we've only had one, so. Yeah, I just, I feel like right now, seven episodes is just dragging on way too long. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. Uh, I feel like, I feel like it gains a little more traction after this point, but just a little. I'm measuring that by how much screaming there is in the episode. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know if I use anything to say. And this is this is like a tangent. This isn't even really a criticism. But I find it weird that the episodes are titled things that have almost nothing to do with the episode. Um, like this episode is called The Writer from Shang 2, which is like a whole like fucking like three minutes of it. This guy shows up and they're like, hey, pick up the pace. We gotta... Or no, this is The Wall of Lies. The next episode is The Writer of Shang 2, which takes like two minutes the wall of lies is in the cave and that that's it well i'll bet you that whoever was writing the titles also had no idea what they, it's like you ha- you're giving me nothing to work with uh i don't know some dude rides in right all right let's name it after <laughs> him he's the one thing that happens in episode but yeah and like obviously yeah there's not really much to say it's weird that Marco Polo sides with Tagana, who's flagrantly evil and like he doesn't really have any reason to mistrust the travelers other than the fact that he's never seen the TARDIS work, so... Yeah, and, y- you know, he's... They're new. I guess he's known Tagana for a while, but I don't I know. Yes, just... Yeah, the, this episode's really not fun or eventful. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I'm ready to go ahead and move on to episode five, if you are. Yeah. <laughs> Rider from Shang 2. Ian decides to warn Marco Polo of the danger, and a fight ensues with the attacking bandits. Ian scares most of them away by causing bamboo to explode in the fire, but Dagana kills one of his Mongol conspirators before he is exposed. As a thank you, Marco Polo lets Susan and Ping Cho spend more time together. The group works out that Dagana is the traitor, but Marco Polo does not believe them. When a traveler from Shang Tu asks them to speed up, Marco decides the group will travel by horseback and return for the TARDIS later. Dagana takes the opportunity to hatch a new scheme to steal the TARDIS. Meanwhile, Ping Cho gives Susan one of the keys to the TARDIS Marco Polo stole, and the group plans to sneak back to it later that night. Susan stops to say goodbye to Ping Cho, but is grabbed by Tagana. See, I had so few notes for episode four, I actually pulled one from this one, which is just, the story is just Tagana being obviously evil, being accused, and Marco not believing them. I also, this is, this is the episode where I was like, yeah, if this was written... I, I can see fan fiction being written about Ian and Marco because they're bros, but like in a <laughs> suspicious kind of we're both straight, which means that having sex with each other isn't gay kind of kind of way. <laughs> it's only gay if we look each other in the eye. It's only gay if we're gay, but we're both straight. So if we have sex, it's not gay. Come on, follow the logic. I was very, very confused when the bandits ambushed and then Tagana fought the bandits? Mm-hmm. Why? 
Oh, isn't, isn't this his chance? This is his, this is the chance. This is his perfect opportunity because like he could kill them all and then like, I don't know, rip his clothes and like cut himself a couple of times and just spin a tale of being the sole survivor. Mm-hmm. And he just doesn't. He's so obviously flagrant, flagrantly evil and yet is really bad at being evil. Mm-hmm. He foils his own plans. He's such a weird character. Yeah. Also, also during the fight, Barbara and Susan are in the tent. Sure. And Susan peeks out during the battle, and then she does another Susan scream. I'm like, Susan, why? Why? Why the scream? Why the scream? You knew. What do you think was happening? An ice cream party out there? You You knew. That people were fighting out there. I'm assuming the clashing metal was able to make its way through the very thick tent sheets, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, why are you screaming? If anything, you just alerted the bandits to your presence? Like, oh, cool, there are women in that tent. Let's go get them. It's dumb. It's dumb. Yeah. <laughs> Again, this is one of those episodes where, like, maybe it's because I listened to it all at once, but it all just kind of ran together. Like, the bandit attack happens, but, like, I don't know. Again, nothing really super consequential happens, other than the dumb decision to leave behind the magical device. They get to another goddamn inn at the end of the episode, and, um, Caleb, the guy playing the innkeeper is just chef's kiss. (laughs) He is... is Saves the whole story, really. a, A bit. He's one of the few actors who's putting on like a voice, but it. I'll, I'll take I'll take away the gold star made out of construction paper that says "not as racist as you could have been" and give them a gray star that's supposed to be silver made out of construction paper that says <laughs> "not as racist as you could have been." Because he's definitely putting on a voice, but he could have been more racist about it. <laughs> the thing that really that really stood out to me about this character is he's just so flamboyant. So it's like, Oh, welcome to my humble inn. I was like, there was a talent agent on set that day. Wasn't there. He was just hamming it up, hoping to get noticed by somebody. (laughs) This is going to be what makes me a star. (laughs) This guy was giving it his all. I'm not saying his all was good, but I respect the initiative. (laughs) (laughs) Again, one of those instances where, like, I really wish there was footage because I bet this whole scene is super fucking cringe and I want (laughs) to see it. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Because if that's how he sounds, what what was he doing? I know. (laughs) Where were his his hands? Probably all over the place. Probably. Either that or tucked really far into his very overly large sleeves. (laughs) Probably. Because the show's probably way more racist than we actually watched it. Probably. Again, that was one of the upsides to just listening to it, is that I could picture in my mind's eye something a little bit more subtle than what was definitely on the screen at the time. But we're moving right along in a good clip, because that's all I have to say about that episode. Because it's all that really happens. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Grant, I think the next two episodes are at least, like, memorable, because, like, different things happen in them, other than Tagana being fucking evil and getting away with it so we're just ready to move on yep all right episode six mighty kublai khan 
Tagana uses Susan to get the travelers out of the TARDIS and returns them to Marco Polo. Ian lies and says he stole the keys to protect Ping Cho. After Ian tries to convince Marco that the TARDIS is unique in the way it works, Polo figures out that Ping Cho actually stole the key. Hearing this, the young girl flees the caravan out of fear. After being sent out to look for her, Ian finds Ping Cho and learns that the TARDIS has been stolen. While they are gone, the Doctor, Barbara, and Susan confront Polo about marrying off Ping Cho. In response, he sends Tagana to find Ian to make sure he is not helping the girl escape. The group arrives at the Khan's palace, and while the Doctor doesn't like him at first, they eventually find common ground because they're both old bastards. Meanwhile, Ian catches one of the bandits that stole the TARDIS. However, Tagana arrives at the same time and brandishes his sword. Was it, was that accurate towards the end about the Doctor and the Emperor? Yeah, I, uh, one of my notes is, oh my gosh, you're old? I'm old. We have so much in common. <laughs> yeah, I, I do kind of like the just like the instant friendship between Kublai Khan and uh, and the doctor of just like, oh, these young people today. Am I right? <laughs> My first note is about Marco and just he really just reads as a wishy washy idiot because either he trusts Tagana and the companion's constant attempt to escape is reason enough to, at the very least, abandon them. Or, he trusts the companions, in which case he needs to do something about Tagana, who is obviously trying to pull something. He's just having his cake and eating it too. Like, mm-hmm. he's like, I want to be friends with everyone, even though I should be friends with none of these people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's... He hasn't really seemed to want anything other than the TARDIS, I guess. Yeah. But he doesn't need either of those groups of people to have that. Yeah, he, he does not need the companions. He's just being merciful to the companions. I mean, I hate to say it because he's probably being merciful to them because they're the first white people that he wasn't related to that he's seen in like decades. So mm. maybe. maybe there's that like unconscious kinship he feels. I don't know. Because, like, again, the TARDIS translation thing is doing some work because Marco Polo is Italian. So he's probably speaking Italian right now and he's hearing other people speaking Italian. And so he's like, oh, finally, which I've I've heard is definitely a thing when you're in other countries of like you kind of cling to someone who speaks the same language as you do. And it really sucks if the only other person who speaks English, say, is a fucking asshole and you would not be spending time with him otherwise. <laughs> but yeah, it does not, it doesn't make any, his motivations don't make any sense. Don't make any sense past. I need to bring the TARDIS to Kublai Khan. Yeah. Yeah. Common thread, I guess with all the side characters is like their motivations and what they actually do. Don't really seem to line up. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Tagana killing his conspirators when he has the chance to win. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. The first half of this episode is mad. It really gets amazing when the doctor talks to the emperor. That's why I'm like, this arc is going somewhere. <laughs> We're going places now. Yeah, I like Kublai Khan as a character because he's just he's just like, well, I'm going to go any day now. He's like, I don't need any help getting up. I've been I've lived through wars kind of <laughs> kind of old man. Were you about to say something? No, not particularly. Um, like I said, a lot of this blends together to me. Because it's just hard to pick out what's relevant and what's not. 
Yeah. My next note after talking about uh, Marco being a wishy-washy idiot is in all caps. Oh, good. We've stopped at another inn. Gee, (laughs) I wonder what will happen next. (laughs) So there's a bit where Ian is trying to appeal to Marco to like, please give us the keys so we can leave in the TARDIS. And Ian confesses to Marco like this is a ship that travels through time and space we are not from here we can't because he's because marco's just like it's fine we'll give this one to we'll give this one to the emperor and then you'll come back to italy with me and you can just build another one and you can have that one and so ian explains what the tardis is and then marco has this this speech in response where he's uh, talking about all the fantastical things that he's heard about that he heard about as a boy that he didn't believe existed but then when he came here to china he saw them with his own eyes and he believed like a uh, stone that could burn kind of and like just and uh, fish that could fly and then he saw them and he was a believer and i will i will grant you the idea of a time machine is a fantastical idea regardless of what era you live in but especially to a venetian in the 13th century but just from a writing perspective should you really preface his statement of disbelief of no i don't believe you you're lying to me should you really preface that disbelief with a speech about how he's seen so many things that he didn't believe existed but were true just just like from a writing perspective you're leading up to no i don't believe you but first let me tell you about all the stuff that i've heard about that actually does exist that i didn't believe existed mhm no i at least i wouldn't or at least i'd build to it a little better not that i'm some pro writer or anything yeah i don't know it's weird again i feel like it's an underreaction because it basically says i don't believe you and that's kind of the end of it Instead of like, um, are you fucking crazy? <laughs> Which like, granted, I don't believe you is an acceptable response, I feel. I, I I mean, it is, but I don't know. If I was traveling with strangers who really wanted their weird box back, and so and they said to me, an Italian in the 13th century in China, that this box travels through space and time, on my end, I'd be like, hey, maybe my bro Tagana had a point that these people are probably not safe or well, and we should at the very least actually imprison them. Yeah. I was going to say, like, at the very least, he should just abandon them. Yeah. So again, I feel there are certain things that have really extreme reactions and certain things that don't have enough of a reaction. I don't know. I feel like, especially like in the 13th century, when I I don't know about the timeline, because like it wasn't until... Uh, they haven't sailed around the world. That happens in the 14th century, right? I don't know. I'm not a historian. There's so little they understand about the world. I feel like the concept of traveling through space and time literally makes no fucking sense to someone from that time period. Yeah, it's it's incomprehensible. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I feel like when you're presented with like literally an incomprehensible concept, being like, yeah, I don't know about that, and then moving on does not make sense to me. Yeah. Although now that, now that I think about it, like. If someone came up to me and was just like, okay, I'm I'm going to level with you. I'm from the seventh dimension. And and then just like goes on this tirade of been like what the seventh dimension is and like where they're originally from. 
I do feel like my reaction would just be like, mm-hmm, yep, sure, yeah. Radical. Totally believe you, my guy. <laughs> well, I back away slow. <laughs> <laughs> the The analogy I had was a lot dumber, I think. I was saying, imagine, imagine it's the 1980s or the 1990s, and you're like, hey, bro, I've got, I don't know, season 16 of Doctor Who on VHS. Come over and watch it, but you need to bring a chair because I only have one. And then he arrives with, I don't know, like one of those fucking like barrel bathtub things. <laughs> and you're like, that's not a chair. Uh, and he's like, of course it's a chair. And it's a chair that lets me stream any show I want at any time I want from anywhere at any time. And I don't know, your response would be, what the fuck are you talking about? What is streaming? <laughs> So yeah, that was my very dumb, convoluted <laughs> analogy I came up with to justify why Michael Polo's reaction is <laughs> underwhelming. Yeah, and then the uh, Kublai Khan and the Doctor uh, walk off and go enjoy some Raisin Brand and Werther's Originals together. And uh, that's <laughs> that's basically the, <laughs> the end of my notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's basically the episode. <laughs> All right, so episode seven, I guess. Assassin of Peking. Soldiers interrupt the fight between Ian and Tagana, and his conspirator is killed in the conflict. Tagana is still able to talk his way out of the situation, and the group begins their return to the Imperial Palace. The Doctor is playing backgammon with the Emperor, and wagers his massive earnings on the TARDIS. However, he loses, losing all of his earnings and his ship as well. Tagana returns and accuses Polo of breaking the laws of the land, but Ian tells the Emperor that Tagana is working with his enemies. The Emperor determines that they must have a trial to determine what is true. After being held captive, the travelers escape and warn Marco Polo about Tagana's treachery. The group arrive to the throne room to discover that Tagana and his men have killed the Khan's guards. Marco and Tagana fight, and the traitor kills himself when he loses. As the bodies are moved, Marco has a change of heart and lets the group escape in the TARDIS. The Emperor forgives him for some reason and permits him to return to Venice, and he wonders where the Travelers are now, and we see the TARDIS drifting amongst the stars. Boom, there it is. That's the Assassin of Peking. Yeah, I remember thinking at the beginning of this episode, Tagana fucking pulls a sword out and has his men around him. I'm like, ah, finally, finally it's been revealed that Tagana is a traitor. Nope. 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 JK. Guys, it's a misunderstanding. I was trying to... Oh, look, look at his whiskers. He need a good shave. <laughs> I'm, I was helping him out. It was so fucking stupid. I'm, it's just like... it's <laughs> On the one hand, it's stupid that the guards are like, Oh, okay, we believe you. But on the other hand, it's somehow even more stupid. <laughs> because the fact that Tagana's word holds this much, that he has such blatant disregard for the law of the land and he can still just be like no and he still get his way and all the times that he could have killed the companions and marco it just shows just really magnifies how fucking incompetent tagana is he could have won 11 times over over the course of these seven <laughs> episodes and he just chose not to i get I really, really, truly get that the point of the show is to kind of have the companions and the doctor use their brains to get out of situations and not resort to violence. 
But I feel like that's really cheapened when, like, literally everyone else is so fucking stupid. Like, basic common sense beats the day or wins the day. The cavemen had more logic than a lot of the characters in this episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't remember if you mentioned this uh, during your recap, um, but Ping Cho's uh, fiance, he croaks uh, before he has a chance to meet oh, her. Yeah. Croaks. Picture that uh, change my mind meme. Ping Cho's fiance died of a Viagra overdose. Change my mind. <laughs> it's like, well, the old uh, two fruits and veg haven't been working for the past 20 years. My young wife is going to be uh, showing up here in a couple of days. I better prep for her. Better get ready. You will never be able to change my mind that Ping Cho's fiance didn't die from a Viagra overdose. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. <laughs> and there's the meme for this episode. Um, it feels like, oh, oh, just a shit ton happened in this episode between like the attempted coup and the attack on the guards and Ping Cho's fiance and um, Tagana like accusing Polo of being the traitor. It feels like so much was crammed into this episode seven. I feel like it could have been could have been spread out just a little bit more evenly across this story. <laughs> For the first time in the history of this five episode podcast, we're suggesting that there's actually too much going on in an episode. There's too much in this episode, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I largely agree. This is. Weirdly enough, I think this is my favorite episode, but I think it's because the pace is so brisk. And yeah. I I almost forgive the insane leaps of logic because it's just like, this happens, then this happens, then this happens. I'm like, oh, okay, we're doing things. So there was, there was a bit where, again, it was kind of difficult with the visualization, um, but I think they were in like some sort, they weren't in like a prison cell, but they were in like a holding room kind of thing where mm -hmm. they couldn't leave. And the plan, I hate this, it's, so the sick man routine is probably one of my biggest pet peeves in storytelling of, oh man, my friend is sick, come help him. And then the guard opens up the door and they ambush the guard. That's one of my biggest tropes that's such a pet peeve of mine. This one doesn't even bother doing that. They were just like, hey guard, come over here for a second. <laughs> And the guard's like, okay, dum -de -dum -de -dum -dum. and then they just knock him out, and it works. The dude literally just walked into the room when they called, and then they was tripped by the doctor's cane. Quite frankly, Kublai Khan deserves to be assassinated if these are the kind of people he hires to be his guards. Yeah, no joke, right? I mean, they're basically like, hey, guard, I, I got a funny joke, but you gotta come over here. <laughs> Luckily, I don't feel like it takes that long, so... And I, again... It only reiterates my point that, like, the only reason the companions seem to get anywhere and use their brains for anything is because everyone else is so fucking stupid. Yeah, hopefully that'll change soon. Um, but that's definitely the case in this episode. This might be jumping forward a little bit, but A, I, Tagana killing himself is kind of hilarious. Suicide is not funny, but in this instance, in the way, I don't know, all of this happens, it's just kind of weird and funny. Darn, my foolproof plan has backfired on me i guess i have i guess i have no choice and like okay this this was your plan dude your plan was to fuck everything up literally the whole time and miss your chance <laughs> and then have a last ditch effort that's gonna fail 
and secondly, I love how everyone just changes their tune about everything at the very end of the episode. Marco Polo's like, hey, you know how I like wasn't going to give you the TARDIS because I wanted to sell it? That's kind of shitty. Why don't you just get on out of here? <laughs> but the whole reason he wanted to do it was so he could convince Kublai Khan to let him go back to Venice. And then he basically betrays his trust by letting the, them uh, escape. And the Emperor's like, nah, no problem. Don't even worry about it. Get, the, get, get out of here. But going back to like Marco's wishy-washy behavior... And how he keeps going back and forth of like trying to appeal to both Tagana and the and the travelers. I guess it just I'm seeing as like a tug of war of his alliances. And then once Tagana dies, it's like, okay, I guess I'm siding with this guy. I guess I'm siding with these guys. Here's the keys. Hurry before I change your mind. I'm not saying it's not dumb. I can but I am saying I can see him because he's been so sympathetic to the companions so far. It's the only reason they're still alive that I can I can see him being like, come on, get, get, get out of here, come on, quick, before, before anyone knows this. It's one of those things where I, I wish I preferred to actually seen that. And again, maybe I just wasn't paying attention close enough, but again, he just seems wishy-washy. Not like he's being pulled one way or the other, but just like he just doesn't make decisions and he doesn't take sides. I've never really, I never really felt at any point leading up to it that like he was questioning his decision to take the TARDIS yeah very true he was just kind of doing it and then at the end he was like hey you know what actually forget it the whole seven episodes whatever forget about it get out of here yeah my last note is the they get into the TARDIS and it dematerializes and Kublai Khan is like it's true a flying caravan (laughs) but nothing about the TARDIS it didn't It didn't. It didn't fly, Mister Khan. It didn't. Are you stupid? <laughs> you might be stupid. At the very least, you might believe that it's suddenly invisible. It did not fly. <laughs> it did not fly. Nothing. Nothing about anything that's happened in the past seven episodes implies that it flies. It, it didn't and move at Tegana, all. Quite frankly, the dumbest villain ever had a better description of it than anyone else in the episode. <laughs> but yeah, those are my thoughts. Sifting through my uh, trivia here that I didn't already. Uh, I don't remember which episode it was, uh, but there was one. There was an episode where uh, William Russell was very unhappy because the day before recording one of the episodes, like six minutes of new scenes were added to the script without any sort of warning or rehearsal. I guess some of them, some of the producers, whatever, realized, oh, yeah, that is kind of shitty, isn't it? So as a result of this complaint, the regular cast members had a had greater script approval in the future. Better better say in what was going on on screen. Well, hopefully, hopefully that results in some better writing, more consistent characterization at the very least. Yeah, or maybe like I feel like they're actually doing or want things and that's just kind of like meandering around and being totally okay with being kidnapped and not being allowed to leave. Yeah, final thoughts. I feel uh, again, I have so much to say and so little to say. Mm-hmm. I feel like for all the things that are going wrong in this episode, it is almost figuring itself out. Like we're getting slightly more complex things. Like the showrunners are kind of figuring out what this is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that it leads to more consistent structures and writing in the future. 
but as a whole like again i don't even remember most of it so that probably sums up my thoughts on it yeah my, my thoughts are basically the same i like the story for the most part it feels like the first real proper adventure that they've had like willingly as travelers as opposed to like places where they had to be mm-hmm but yeah, there were just there were just some episodes where it feels like the entire thing could have just been fucking cut and mm-hmm. you would have lost nothing because the only thing that were changing was the locations that they ended up at and all of the locations were just the, just the fucking inn. Uh, we're staying at another inn. Isn't that cool? I mean, straight up, if you put the if it, if this was the first two episodes and the last two episodes, you would miss basically nothing. Yeah, just have just have it go from them finding the oasis and then they arrive, like, have some narration. Because this episode had narration of Marco, like, writing writing his memoirs. And I'm pretty sure this is the only episode that has narration, like an actual narrator. And uh, you could have just had, they found the Oasis, and then they got to Peking. You would have lost nothing in the in-between. I did really, really like that there was a good reason the group didn't just leave and that the TARDIS was a plot point. I loved that. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm grateful that we had to listen to it and not watch it because of, gosh, so much yellow face would have been going on and it would make me so uncomfortable. Like, if we're doing rankings, I'm not sure if you want to do rankings, because before I had Edge of Destruction, the Daleks, and then An Unearthly Child, I think I'm going to... It's basically tied for me with Edge of Destruction. I think I'm going to put Marco Polo just slightly above... Edge of Destruction. Just like Edge of Destruction, I'm putting Marco Polo at the top with the 100% in, um, expectation of it will be dethroned soon. Um, mm-hmm. uh, your and my rankings are a little different because uh, mm-hmm. I like the Daleks more than I like the Edge of Destruction. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, I think this episode ties with the Daleks. And then, oh God, which one do I... It's not even which one I like more, it's which one I don't like <laughs> less. I think... In a weird way, I like Unearthly Child more than I like Edge of Destruction. Really? Uh, there are so many cool elements of Edge of Destruction, but there were just so many things that pissed me off about what was happening. That's that, fair. I don't know. I I overall actually enjoyed Unearthly Child a lot more, even though it was like ironic and cringe enjoyment. Mm-hmm. Whereas like I felt like I could almost enjoy Edge of Destruction, and then it just did things that made me mad. Plus, and this is kind of strange to say, I think overall, I think the very first episode of An Unearthly Child is the best just standalone episode that we've watched so far. You know what? I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. And maybe it's because they got like a second shot at it that it was pretty solid. Yeah. Uh, At least comparably speaking. Truth be told, I'm not like a huge fan of the show yet. So, but we'll see. Hopefully hopefully that'll change soon. I love doing this, but yeah, no, the podcast is fun. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you're having. I'm glad I'm not dragging you, kicking and screaming. And that's the fourth episode. Thank you for listening. If you if you like to talk to us about the show, you can find us on Twitter at QuickTripDW. And if you'd like to talk to us in general, you can find us at MacTheMat and Cob underscore Clark on Twitter. You can find this podcast on iTunes and every major podcasting thing. And also on Mac's YouTube channel, which is Mac the Math. Join us next time on our quick trip through space and time in which we meet the first in a long, long, long line of unsuccessful attempts to have an enemy as popular as the Daleks in 
The Keys of Marinus. Ooh.